0: Hello and welcome back to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd. And on this week's episode, we take a look back at the last week of Olympic madness taking place here in Tokyo. And a very warm welcome back to Patrick St. Michelle. Thank you so much for joining me again.
1: Hey there, Oscar. How you doing?
0: Yeah, very well. Thank you. We left off last week's episode just before the Olympic opening ceremony was due to start. And I basically just want to continue where we left off. So, Patrick... Let's go back to last Friday. What did you think about that opening ceremony?
1: Overall, if I were to kind of just sum it up, I would say fine. Fine. Perfectly fine. (laughs) There were highlights. There were lowlights. There were like truly great moments that I think will kind of be remembered down the line in just Olympic and maybe modern Japanese history.
0: Yeah, obviously, with this Olympic opening ceremony, it was a very tough line to tread, I think, with you know not wanting it to seem too celebratory with the pandemic still going, but also not wanting to remind people too much that there was a pandemic going on at the same time, which might raise questions about why these Olympics were happening at all. Uh, you said you had highlights and lowlights. What were some of the standout moments for you?
1: For me, most of the standout moments were... As you said, the more celebratory, at times borderline goofy inclusions, mostly in the second half of the evening. So specifically, they had this big drone display that they did over the National Stadium, and they sort of made a variety of things, Uh, most notably, I think, a globe. It looked so futuristic, maybe cliche, but it really looked crazy from people's videos. (laughs) other big highlight, and I think this actually became, at least with Japanese viewers, the most memorable segment. They honored 50 pictograms that are associated with the sports at the Olympics. Uh, Those were introduced for the first time at the 1964 Games in Tokyo. And you would think maybe, oh, how can you turn pictograms into something exciting? Well, they found a way because they did something that was... Really close to just like Japanese variety TV by having three people who were dressed as pictogram characters recreating the pictograms in real time. It was this sort of wonky fun that I think the Olympics in general needs more. How about yourself?
0: What were some of the
1: segments that stuck with you?
0: So I was was in the very lucky position where I had a pass and a ticket to allow me to attend that ceremony in person. And it was on my birthday, which was nice. Oh, hey. Yeah, I think, you know, the segment that you mentioned, actually both the segments you mentioned, the drones and the pictograms were the bits that stood out to me in the stadium. The drones, when they rose up above the stadium, uh, that was just phenomenal. I'd never seen anything like it. And I think that was really the, uh, the image of tech positive tech forward futuristic japan that the tokyo games wanted to portray being in the stadium was quite bizarre because you'd be focusing most of the time on the performance in front of you and the sound would be boosted up so you know there was a bit of atmosphere while stuff was going on but every time there was a bit of a break and you'd look up from the center of the arena floor you would just see the Fifty, sixty thousand 60,000 empty seats of the national stadium as the backdrop to all these celebrations. And probably more poignant still was the fact you could hear the 400 or so anti-Olympic protesters chanting outside. So it was all set to the backdrop of this chorus of protesters.
1: I mean, yeah, I remember you couldn't hear them too much on TV. Uh, The only time they came through was in the... uh optics mistake of a moment of silence. Mm. The TV presentation, you know, they know how to present this. They know how to flare it up. So even though there's a sea of empty seats around everyone, they at least made it feel heightened. Though I would be curious, I think the most disorienting stretch is also probably the longest, which is the Parade of Athletes. Yes, That got a lot of attention because the soundtrack was a bunch of japanese video game music delivered in an orchestral arrangement which was cool a lot of people liked it but i was just thinking if you're an athlete
0: what is this like Yeah, it must have been very very bizarre for them as well And there was a lot of excitement, I think, towards the early parts of the Parade of Nations. A lot of the teams came out looking very genki. I remember Portugal, you know, and Argentina, I think, all of those teams dancing around their flags, having a great time. Around the edge of the stadium, there was kind of a ring of volunteer dancers dancing throughout the whole Parade of Nations. And at the beginning, athletes were getting involved and joining in the line and dancing with them. But then the Parade of Nations proceeded to go on for two hours of the opening ceremony and by kind of end of hour one I started to feel sorry for the dancers who were just going non-stop throughout the whole thing and the athletes themselves started to you know, the ones who'd come out right at the beginning of the Parade of Nations, a few of them started sitting on the floor. And then by the end of hour two, there was a decent chunk of all the athletes who were in attendance. You who know, just sat on the floor and it felt very low energy and really felt like it would have benefited from having a crowd of supportive international fans cheering on their home teams.
1: You really do need that in-person energy, I think, because especially with sort of all this pageantry that can sometimes draw on, even in a non-pandemic time, it's like you need that extra boost, I would imagine.
0: Yeah. But the Parade of Nations, I think, does bring us on to two of the other highlights of the opening ceremony, which we've not yet talked about. And one of which um, was the appearance of basketballer and biracial athlete Rui Hachimura as one of Japan's two flag bearers. And I think this was a really important, interesting part of the night.
1: Yeah, I think one of the messages that the opening ceremony was trying to send about Japan and by making uh, Rui Hachimura a sort of rising NBA star for the Washington Wizards and member of the Japanese national basketball team, making him one of the flag bearers was trying to present this image of a more multicultural Japan by putting Japanese people who are biracial in the spotlight it was a really like cool moment seeing that and i think that's a very important thing for japan though they then sort of raised the stakes significantly for what i imagine is the other memorable moment you're thinking of
0: and this was the moment that it was revealed that naomi osaka would be the last and final torchbearer to carry the olympic flame that had been run haphazardly around japan during the pandemic to the stadium And she received the flame and then proceeded to climb up the stairs of the Mount Fuji cauldron. And as she climbed, the cauldron opened up and revealed the Olympic torch. And yeah, it was Naomi Osaka, the face of the Olympics, another biracial athlete who had that ultimate honor of lighting the Olympic cauldron and really kicking off these Tokyo Olympic Games, after she called it the greatest athletic achievement of her life. Talking about Naomi Osaka pivots us to our next topic, because unfortunately, one of the big shockers of this week was that Naomi Osaka, one of the favourites to win the women's singles gold medal, was unfortunately knocked out in straight sets in the uh, third round of the Olympic tournament to Marquesa Vandrosova, which must have been just a huge disappointment and a huge shock to the, not just to Naomi Osaka as a player, but to kind of the Japanese Olympic team as a whole.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's also a good reminder, you know, we spend so much time talking about the plans that the the Olympic Committee in Japan are organizing sort of this how do we present Japan to the world how do we put on a good show etc cetera, etc cetera. it's also a good reminder that you know this is still sports and that at the end of the day like upsets happen that's why this is so fun you never know what's going to happen you get a major upset like this and sure it kind of derails sort of the narrative you were hoping for but That's just how it goes.
0: I wonder whether, you know, looking back on these games, people will uh, question how much Naomi Osaka appearing at the opening ceremony actually affected her performance. Originally, she was supposed to play on the Saturday, but due to her late night appearance, her first opening match actually got moved to the Sunday, which meant that come the third round on Tuesday, she'd actually played three days in a row, which is so hard considering especially how in the tennis we've really seen a lot of athletes complaining about the heat and how, how hard it's been playing here in Tokyo. Maybe I'm just
1: missing it, but I actually am really surprised that that angle hasn't been picked up because it would be a real like easy thing to hitch your opinions to and sort of get attention and we're seeing that with other athletes especially from america some of the bigger stories from the olympics that have connected with american viewers have also produced a lot of like scolding scolding takes
0: yes you are of course talking about one of the other big individual athlete stories of this week which revolves around the u.s superstar gymnast simone biles who unfortunately ended up leaving the olympics on wednesday citing concerns over her mental health uh simone biles i mean she just launched into superstardom following the rio 2016 olympics where she won four goals in gymnastics at that games and she's won more world championship gymnastic gold medals than any other gymnast in history
1: and similar to how Naomi Osaka was presented as one of the faces of the Japanese team at this year's Olympics, uh, Simone Biles was definitely one of the major focuses for the American team heading into this competition. I know, like, NBC, who are carrying the Olympics in the United States, they put a lot of emphasis on Simone Biles as one of the, like, star athletes for 2020. So her exiting in the middle of the competition was just massive news for everybody.
0: Mm. I think one of the unfortunate things that kind of unites both of these athletes leaving the tournament is that they've received a lot of pretty ugly criticism online, especially in the case of Naomi Osaka. She was built up to be the face of the Olympics, lit this torch, and then, you know, you basically see a lot of racist comments, which the New York Times reported on following that saying, you know, why is someone who's quote unquote not Japanese lighting this torch and then unable to actually win gold at these Olympic Games. In the case of Simone Biles, I think it's you know it's it's a real shame for the sport and for everyone involved that she did have to leave the Olympics. But I mean my personal opinion if I'm allowed to have one is that you should think of a mental illness as akin to a physical injury and, you know, if she broke a bone or pulled a muscle in these games, no one would complain at all if she chose to exit the competition.
1: And especially for a sport like gymnastics, right? There's so much sort of mental preparation that goes into that. If you're not focused on that, if something's throwing you off, like you're still not going to perform well. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's pretty similar to, you know, suffering a hamstring injury or something. Like you're not going to be at your best.
0: Japan has had an absolutely phenomenal run at these Olympics so far. Uh, We're recording this Thursday morning and a lot of things could change in the meantime. But right now, as it currently stands, Japan is on top of the medal table with 13 gold medals, four silvers and five bronzes. And we've seen Japanese athletes perform remarkably well across a really wide range of sports.
1: To put that into a bit of context, at the 2016 games in Rio, Japan took home 12 gold medals total. So they've already surpassed that in five days, which is pretty nutty. And I think if I'm correct, we can double check this, their overall record for gold medals is 16, which they set in 1964 and 2004 in Athens. So, they are the country is easily on pace to like blaze by that. What's most impressive, I think, is Japan's really stepping up for, you know, not just the sports Japan has like a really strong reputation in. You're seeing them kind of like really dominate at judo so far. Mm. But the Japanese national team is also doing well at these new sports that have been introduced.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the really exciting parts of of this Olympics is that we, you know, we knew coming into them that there'd be five new sports and that these were chosen by Tokyo, the host, because they were popular here and hopefully had some youth appeal. But we've seen some fantastic results for Japan and the sports in both skateboarding and surfing. Skateboarding, The women's competition was won by 13-year-old skateboarder Momiji Nishiya. And then the men's competition was won by 20-year-old Yuto Horegome. You watched quite a lot of the skating. How how was that to watch the sport?
1: I mean, yeah, I was able to catch a good amount of both skateboarding events on TV, of course. Not all of us are privileged like Oscar. And yeah, it was really exciting. And I think it was a great addition to the Olympics. Um, I'm not going to pretend to be like... Like, I never skateboarded when I was young. I was more of a nerd who didn't go outside. You know, I think a lot of Olympic sports are sometimes looked at as kind of stayed, kind of very buttoned up. But everything about skateboarding was just really fun, really different, at least. Even the color commentators for NHK, uh, the national broadcaster here in Japan, a very serious, sometimes stuffy news organization, Like, they even brought in professional skateboarders to act as commentators, and they were just so chill and laid back but knowledgeable. (laughs) It was just a really cool, like, shift in how the Olympics are presented, I feel. Mm. Especially with the women's street skateboarding, which is what we're talking about. Momiji Nishia, a 13-year-old who graduated elementary school, like, six months ago. (laughs) <laughs> Which is a real, real existential doozy for you. Like, she finished just ahead of another 13 year old from Brazil, and the bronze medal went to a Japanese athlete who was 16 years old. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's sort of the stuff the Olympics do well is when they're willing to sort of like actually welcome change and try something different. It's just entertaining.
0: Right, and I noticed exactly the same thing in the surfing as well, which is a sport I'd never watched in any kind of competition, but because it was in the Olympics, I decided to tune in. You know, I think there was a lot of worry with the surfing as to how good the waves would be, but luckily, with the arrival of Tropical Storm uh, Nepatak, mm. Uh, The waves were fantastic. And watching these surfers perform massive tricks off these giant waves was such a thrill. And again, the commentary was so good and so exciting. And they did a fantastic job in explaining what I think is a new sport to most viewers.
1: It's funny you mentioned the tropical storm being kind of a blessing in disguise for that, just because in the days kind of leading up to that, that was sort of Being set up by a lot of media as "Uh uh-oh the cursed olympics continue to be cursed because initially people were reporting oh a typhoon is gonna maybe hit tokyo during the olympics but as you said it actually bolstered one of the more exciting events that we've seen so far which is one of those like hey we caught a (laughs) break
0: and not just the surfing but also the sailing as well i think they just got a bucket full of great wind as a result of that tropical storm and watching that competition as well has been fantastic as they kind of blast around the ocean in enoshima
1: so one of the things we touched on is you've had the chance to actually go to some events i'm kind of just curious you know since so many people both in japan and of course abroad we can only experience it through tv especially during this pandemic influenced edition of the olympics What's it like going to an event? Do you have any like interesting stories from the things you've been able to attend so far?
0: So I think my explanation is going to be quite similar to my explanation of what it was like going to the opening ceremony in that when you actually focus on the sports, you get lost in the sports. You've got world class athletes performing at their very best in front of you. And mostly sports are just a whole lot of fun to watch. But then every now and then there'll be a break and you'll just look up and you know, pan up to the stadium that is behind the sports. And that's when you realise that there's just row after row after row of empty chairs. I noticed this particularly at uh, Wednesday's uh, Rugby Sevens final. We discussed this on the last podcast. I'd been lucky enough to go to the finals of the Rugby World Cup in 2019. And when I was at th- those finals, you looked across at the stands opposite and it was just you know, an endless sea of people. And the atmosphere was electric as a result. But looking up yesterday at the stands at the uh, Tokyo Stadium, it was deserted to the point where to try and generate some atmosphere at all. uh, They were pumping in crowd noise that had been pre-recorded before the games just to try and liven up a bit. It was a very, very odd experience.
1: Did they try to play like jock jams in the stadium as well like zombie nation to an empty (laughs) empty row of chairs
0: yeah totally and with the sevens it was all themed (laughs) to the teams. so when i i I think when ireland scored at one point they were playing beautiful day by um you two and i think when australia (laughs) scored they were playing some tame impala and so you know they were tame impala (laughs) what yeah, (laughs) yeah australian band Kind of quickly going through the rest of the gold medal tally, though, uh, Japan has done very well in more traditional sports as well, not just surfing and skateboarding. You mentioned the judo earlier. Um, There's a really nice story where a sibling pair, Uta and Hifumi Abe, both won gold medals in their respective judo events within the space of, I think, about an hour. And so far, Japan has won seven gold medals in the judo and there's maybe more to come in the gymnastics we saw on wednesday night daiki hashimoto win the men's all-round gymnastics gold which i, I always forget like, gymnastics is just amazing <laughs> it's just amazing every time you watch it the 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 shapes and contortions and spins is just so so exciting um and then yeah, we were talking about before this, but you also um, you know, tuned in to watch the table tennis doubles match in which Japan watched gold.
1: Right. This, for me, has been the most... The table tennis mixed pairs final was probably the most intense event that I was able to catch so far. Uh, for me, table tennis is how you describe gymnastics. <laughs> Speaking of good storylines, the Japanese mixed team was Jun Mizutani a sort of more veteran table tennis player who's achieved a lot of success uh, before just in the sort of global table tennis scene. And then a younger woman named Mima Ito. They were actually kind of like friends. Their families have been really close since like they were both kids. So social media was sharing a lot of like photos of them hanging out as like a 12 and like four year old or something. So they have this really tight link, which is really cool. They played table tennis powerhouse China in the final and just a really great match. China took the first two games and then Japan rallied. China forced an extra. And then we got just this really like great final run from Japan where they closed it down, won the gold. So much excitement. It was Japan's first table tennis gold medal ever at the Olympics despite, you know, being pretty good at the sport, they've never gotten the top prize. So this was also a historic win for them.
0: We'll be back after this short break. In response to this... Gold medal run. We have seen some softening of the Japanese public response to the Olympics. Um, a poll in the Nikkei that was published on Monday found that 31% of people still believe the games should have been postponed or cancelled another year, but nearly 70% backed holding the games in some form. And, you know, I went to the road cycling on Saturday, and that's one of the few publicly viewable events still. And there were, you know, Tens of thousands of people lined up across the 240 odd kilometer course, hoping to watch it. And you know, people were were genuinely excited to be watching the sports.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good reminder that the Olympics, of course, are always a contentious event, just because of everything that goes into it beyond the sports. There's all the political dimensions, the way it sort of impacts the cities they're hosted in, and those are all. For all of this positivity we're hearing, I'm sure there's still, you know, plenty of people are probably not happy about the circumstances these are happening in. So it's important to keep in mind that, yeah, like, just because Japan's winning a bunch of gold medals, people aren't suddenly changing their minds on this, on the IOC entirely.
0: Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think it's important not to confuse supporting the institution of the olympics with supporting individual athletes and their performances and um you know celebrating when they win gold but obviously sports is really fun to watch especially when your side is winning so i'm not surprised to see that you know more people are feeling positive about these olympic games when japan has done so well in the medal table over the last week at the same time though You said they were making history in the table tennis, but we've also seen history be made in the COVID pandemic in uh, Japan with, you know, 3,000 reported cases, over 3,000 reported cases of uh, coronavirus in Tokyo on Wednesday, more than 9,000 nationwide, which is a record for both Tokyo and the country as a whole.
1: Right. These cases are not linked to the Olympics, of course, because there's a two-week lag, blah, 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 science. But still, it does kind of illustrate how strange all of this still feels because Japan really is now going through a really rough stretch with COVID-19. And you can see it in these daily case numbers. Like, every afternoon now, there's this rush of like line updates on this popular uh, chat service messaging app here in Japan line, you know, it'll be like skateboarder wins gold. Tokyo set to announce over 300 case, 3000 cases. <laughs> Surfer wins silver 3000 cases. It's this real whirlwind of good news, bad news. And it can really get disorienting at times. Mm. This is maybe a little too naive of me, but it is nice with the sports to kind of just be like, okay, I'm just going to watch somebody play softball and I'm going to turn my brain off from all of this for a second. There is at least a nice escapism to the Olympics right Mm. now. Ask me again in two weeks, maybe if that was worth it.
0: Yeah, I know you said they're not necessarily linked to the Olympics right now, but at the same time, I think Japan's COVID response has generally... You know, it's been the government is not able to force people to stay indoors, and so I think they've relied a lot on public cooperation to to have the public uh, respect the state of emergency and for restaurants to close down, things like that. But I do think hosting a major international sporting event while also requesting people stay inside and don't have any fun—it's very strange messaging, and I could. You know, I think we're seeing growing frustration from the general public when, you know, we're now in this fourth state of emergency in Tokyo.
1: I think you hit on it. It's really what it boils down to is just I think people are sick of these state of emergencies because we've basically been in a state of emergency all year. And as you said, the, the messaging of holding the Olympics, but also urging people not to do anything is not the best look.
0: Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Deep Dive. My guest was Patrick Saint-Michel and he'll be joining us next week when we look back at week two of the Olympic Games. In the meantime, follow along with all the Olympic news at japan-times.co.jp where you'll also find my colleagues reporting on all sorts of useful things like Japan's COVID-19 situation, how to get a vaccine passport, and how skateboarding gold medals have sent stock prices soaring in Japan. We also have a subscriber campaign on at the moment. It's currently 30% off if you subscribe to the JT this summer. More details on the website. Thank you as always for listening. Until next time, Potsukaresama.